So we're jumping into a new series today. If you, if you haven't been around here at Southridge, we do series, uh, usually four to six weeks worth of the same message topic. And we're kicking off a series today called Empty. And, uh, and it's pretty, pretty, I think, true to life that a lot of us are running on empty. How many of you would say you've had a moment where you've ran on empty? All right, almost all of us raising our hands. And so it's part of who we are. And, you know, sometimes it's called burnout. Sometimes people talk about and say that the tank is almost dry or empty. And really what happens is we start hoping for a, a downhill so we can coast a little bit. I always joke around and say, I'd like to be able to call a timeout and everybody else just freeze and I could kind of run around and catch up. You know, that's, that's what I would like to see happen sometimes. But that's the sign that maybe I'm on the verge or I'm experiencing this empty thing that we're talking about. Now, running out of gas or running on empty is nothing new. And it doesn't mean if you are running on empty that you are some kind of a spiritual, evil, bad person. It's very common to, to people in faith and people outside of faith. And so don't beat yourself up if this is true of you today. So we're going to share a key text. Our key text is Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And it's Paul actually saying a prayer. He's praying for the Roman church. And this is what he said. I pray that God, the source of hope, and we're going to focus on that phrase today. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it really, he, he's praying for people that maybe have run out or they're on empty that they would be filled that they would have this incredible filling up if you will in their lives and as a result they would experience and i think most of us would like some of this some joy some peace and an overflow of confidence that's based on the work and the power of the holy spirit not ourselves and so that's what he's praying. He's praying, I, I pray that the God who is over everything, who is the ruler over everything, the source, that you would come in such contact with him that your life would be full of joy, peace, and an overflow of the work of the Holy Spirit with confidence. That's what he's praying. Now, it's ironic that this is the message series we're focusing on this month. We plan our series uh, messages usually four to six months out. We, we kind of, we're about that far ahead. We, we know what we're doing in January, February already. And so as we were planning this, I, I, I'll just be very transparent. I was in a really good place. You know, how I many you know what I'm talking about? You're just in a good place, man. It's, life is good. And as we're doing this series, I'm the poster child for this message. It's kind of ironic, you know, but here I am, you know, I, I could be easily, you know, it could have said empty and just had a little, instead of this image, it would have just been my face just right there. Um, and so I, I'm, I'll be honest, I, I'm running on empty. I mean, as your pastor, as your leader, and, and really what that means for me is my passion, my hope, my vision, my confidence, it's all running low. And some of that is because you give, you give, you give, and it just runs out. But there's other reasons, and we're going to talk about that. So I'm not talking to you today. I'm actually sharing with you a little bit. So as I prepared this message over the last week or so, I, I was really just walking through my own life. I was just walking through some of the things that I'm, I'm dealing with and wrestling with. And so hopefully on the journey together, we'll see that. So what are some reasons? I mean, I... I have some reasons. I, I have reasons why I'm empty. What are your reasons? You know, what, what's going on? And I'm going to highlight a handful of them real quickly. 
But I think there's a, a bunch of them. I, th- I think we could have a list of 30, 40, 50 of different things that would cause us to run on empty or be empty in life. And I, I just want to highlight a few to get us going here with this thought. Here, here's the first one, is that many of us, we, we just simply are facing overwhelming odds. Overwhelming odds. You know, here, here's the point. Life is stacked against us. Our human nature is against us. Life itself is, 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 is all ordered and stacked against us, and there's a thousand things that can bring us down and drain us and sap us of our strength. I mean, that's just reality. And so we, we need to know that, that there's a lot of things out there that are not giving life, they're taking life. I've got a little bit of echo here. You, are you with me? Just give me a thumbs up if you're on it. Okay. And so this idea that we're facing overwhelming odds, Jesus said this, I mean, he was, you know, pretty wise, I think. And here's what he said, in this world, so in our lives, you will have trouble. I mean, he just said, hey, here's the deal. The the odds are against you. The things that you're going to face are going to be difficult. There's going to be things that you're going to wrestle with. But then he goes on, he says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's not hopeless. There's still hope in the midst of the obstacles and and the things that you're facing. So that's, I think, a big one. Here's another one, is that we're operating with diminishing returns. Diminishing returns. And basically what this means is this, is what we do often in lives is not filling our lives. In other words, we're doing a lot of things, but they're not filling us. They're not making life better. They're actually taking life away from us. And so we have this diminishing returns thing that's draining us, not filling us. And for many of us, we are our worst enemies. How many would agree with that, that we're, (laughs) yeah, we're just our worst enemies. And and really what that looks like is that we fill life with one self-inflicted wound after another. It's like we just keep shooting ourselves in the foot, shooting ourselves in the foot, and and we just can't seem to get anywhere because of the diminishing return of what we're doing ourselves in the process of life. And so we're empty because we have spent ourselves carelessly. And I, I, and, I, and again, I, these are all part of my own journey as much of what I think is yours as well. Here's, here's a scripture, Galatians chapter 6. It says, don't be misled or don't be fooled or don't be confused or, or don't be unaware. God, you cannot mock the justice of God. In other words, it's, it's going to play itself out. And in the last part, it says, you will always harvest what you plant. Or another version says, you will reap what you sow. And so we have this diminishing return thing going on. Here's another one, is we're hitting the wall of our own limitations. Any long-distance runners in the house? Anybody? Okay, man, we are a very unfit, health group of people, (laughs) right? But I'm not a long-distance runner. I I don't claim to be. I mean, I I set speed records on elliptical machines. You know, that's that's where I live. But as far as long-distance running, you always hear them talking about hitting the wall. Now, I I knew about it back in the day when I was coaching wrestling and wrestling that you would get to a certain point where there was nothing left in the tank and then somehow you would have to draw from a different source and a lot of times it was adrenaline and you would have to find yourself hitting the wall and somehow pushing through that wall to make it happen. But but what was that? It was the limitation. We, we, We have these limitations about who we are and it's hard for us, I know it is for me, to admit that I have limitations. It's, it's hard for me to stand up in front of you sometimes and say, oh, I can't do that. I want to be able to do everything. I, I mean, sometimes I, I, I find myself, I'll even be saying I could do something I can't do. You know? Don't leave me hanging here, all right? 
Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, it's just this limitation thing, and we hit the wall of our limitations, and we forget that we're humans, and that we're frail, we're limited, and we're weak. I came across this quote this week. It says, if you have an attitude of heart that is always giving out, you are in danger of wearing out. If you're always giving, always giving, always giving, there's a very real danger in your future that you might wear out. And that's because we haven't really considered our limitation. Here's, here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. It's, and many of us are fo- familiar with this verse. It says, my grace is all you need. God is speaking to Paul about his limitations. He says, Your, my grace is all you need. My power works best in, can you say it with me? Weakness. But boy, we don't, we don't always get that, do we? we? We tend to do something else. And so instead of weakness, I'm trying to do it in my own strength or I'm trying to do it in my own power. And we get lost there. And that's many times why we're empty. Here's another one is we're, we are caught in a swift moving current. And for many of us, we're trying to stay afloat in a raging flood. The floodwaters have come, the rains have come, the, the streams are up, and somehow I find myself in the middle of the stream trying to hang on as best I can. And the pace of everything is out of control. It's just, it's going crazy. And there's this floodwater experience that I'm, I'm going through, and I'm trying, but I can't seem to get anywhere in the process. Here, listen to what the psalmist wrote about this kind of situation. He said it in Psalm 69. He said, Save me, O God. For the floodwaters are up to my neck. I can barely keep my head above water. I can barely stay afloat. I can barely, I've tread as much as I can tread. I've swam as much as I can swam. swim. I just can't do it anymore. He said, the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. And I can't find a foothold. I can't seem to find that place where I can say, yeah, okay, that's good, you know. And every time you put your foot down and you think it's good, it, it seems to slip away again. And, and he's just describing this picture that I can't seem to find a foothold. And he says, I am in deep water and the floods are overwhelming me. And as I read that, what I think about for many of us today is it's all happening way, way, way too fast. It's all happening way, way too fast. And I'm in this swift moving, flowing current, and I'm just getting swept along. I'm not really calling any shots or anything. It's just wherever it goes, I go. And that's, I think, a big part of some of our emptiness. But for many of us, the number one reason for our emptiness is that we're disconnected from the source. We're disconnected from the source. We've lost touch, if you will, with the source. Going back to our key text, he says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you. This idea that somehow God would fill us. And so, so I, I think a lot of times what happens then is we begin to draw from the wrong well. We begin to look at other things in, lives and th- in our lives and think that if I could just get a, in, in that, it will fill me. If I can just find this, it will fill me. And many times it's in relationships and money. That's, that's where most of us go. We think that if I just had a little bit bigger paycheck or if I had just had a little bit better husband or better relationship or this or that, and it's just a little bit more, a little bit better, and and somehow it would happen. But really, I'm looking to the wrong source of what needs to happen. I'm trying to get OJ from potatoes, and I'm not talking sweet potatoes. I'm talking nasty, unsalted, unflavored potatoes. I want something that really can't come from that. And so I keep going back to it. 
And so our, our, our text, again, it highlights, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew, I mean, in John 15. He said, if a man or a woman remains in me and I in him, in other words, there's a connectivity, he will bear much fruit. In other words, there will be produce of my life that's not empty or draining, but something that's fulfilling. And he said then this last part, he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me give you the paraphrase. If I'm not your source, it's not going to work. If I'm not your source in life, you're going to eventually find yourself in a very empty, draining place. And so he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's my question for us today. What is the source of your life? What is the source of your life? I've had to ask that the last few weeks. I realized that maybe my, my source of my life has been myself. What sustains me? <laughs> Maybe it's me. Maybe it's just as strong as I am in the moment. That's what sustains me. And boy, my ability to be a source in life is not that great because really isn't that the problem, that we're not that great a source? That we're really not that great at doing it. And so maybe the very idea that I'm going to do this isn't really feasible. And so here's a simple phrase. When I lose touch with the source, it's not long before I experience the emptiness it produces. And so as I read through these lists that I came up with this week just studying, I I think sometimes I'm facing overwhelming odds. I get it. And maybe you are too. Sometimes I'm just making really, really bad decisions and this diminishing return is coming alive in me. I've created this mess and sometimes that's us as well. Or or maybe it's the limitations or the current. But I think the biggest one is this disconnected from the source. That that's the big one that we wrestle with. So I want to spend a few minutes going to a, a, a few chapters of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. And I want to encourage you to go read the story. 1 Kings chapter 17, 18, and 19. It's a story of Elijah with the prophets of Baal. Okay? Elijah was a prophet of God, and the prophets of Baal were this, this ungodly, evil group that was led by King Ahab and Jezebel. Maybe you've heard of Jezebel. And so this is the story. And it's one of my favorite characters, if you will, in Scripture because it highlights being in touch but also losing touch at the same time. A very, very powerful man of God that would be in this place where he was disconnected for a moment from the source of who God was and what he was doing. And so he faces off. This is the story. I'll just give you a little background. Uh, Elijah, the prophet, faces off with the prophets of Baal, and he has this big showdown on, on the mountain. It's this big, you bring yours and I'll bring mine and we're going to see whose God is really powerful. And there's this powerful moment of dueling out what's going to happen. And the whole story, and I think this is ironic for many of us here today, revolves around three years of drought. It's a dry season. It's a, it's a time where it seems like life is dust. Anybody ever relate with that? <laughs> it just, life is dust. You know, it's it, 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 always hoping that something happens and it never happens. Hope, always hap, hoping that tomorrow's better, but tomorrow doesn't get any better. It's in the middle of this drought that this story is taking place. And so the odds are incredibly against him. And it's interesting that in the midst of this difficult time, this drought, King Ahab, Jezebel, all these different things, God comes and he says to Elijah, I want you to go and speak to this group because I'm going to show you some things. 
And I think it's interesting that God was going to show who he was, but he was also going to show something about who Elijah was. Because sometimes what's in us gets revealed in the middle of a dry and difficult gets revealed in the middle of dry and difficult times around us. Sometimes the very things that I'm going through actually reveal about something in me that maybe needs to be tweaked or maybe needs to be addressed or, or maybe I've been just a little off course and the source of my life hasn't been what it needs to be and I'm missing something. That God would maybe do that. So again, the odds were overwhelmingly against Elijah. There was 850 prophets of Baal, 400 of Asherah and 450 of Baal. I mean, these guys, they, they were godless. I mean, they were out there. And, and Ahab, King Ahab in the story, it, it says in scripture that he was by far the worst evil king that ever was. He, he was bad to the bone. So God was in the midst of doing this judgment and there was all these things happening and there was the showdown that was going about to happen. And so here's what happened. Because God was the source of Elijah, he met him and they did this whole thing where he said, hey, we're going to ask whose God is God and we're going to ask for, for God to lick up this offering, uh, this altar time before the Lord with fire and whoever's God does that is the true God and the other one sucks to be you. You know, that kind of story. Okay? And so they set it up and the prophets of Baal, they, they do the offering and they start praying and screaming and howling. And, and eventually Elijah comes and he says, what, is your God out relieving himself? I mean, he was kind of making fun of the fact that he's not, it's not happened the way you planned it. And finally they gave up. And so then Elijah stepped up to his turn, turn in the process and he builds an altar to the Lord. He puts the offering on the, the altar. He digs a pit around it and then he invites them to come and bring barrels and barrels of water to dump all over the offering. He prays before the Lord and the Lord in a blast of fire licks up the, the offering. God shows up. You would think at that moment it would have been time to write the books and hit the late night TV tour, right? You're going to go on all the little shows and talk about, well, how did it happen? Well, you know, I just, I was just God's man at the right time in the right place, you know? You know what I mean? That's what happened. I mean, that's who I was. And, and you know, bragging somewhat, but, but proud about what had happened. But that's not what happens in the story. It doesn't go from the prophets were, were defeated and now Elijah is this great and awesome guy. He actually goes to a dark place where he's empty. And that's where we pick up the story. And it was, it was God in the midst of all these situations where he had given him a powerful victory and he defeated the prophets and he prayed for rain and it rained and it was time for that tour, if you will. But instead, this is what happens. And this is where I want to pick up the story today. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. So, so, so when Ahab got home, and they were, he was just part of this, this showdown. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed the prophets of Baal. He actually had them all killed. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. In other words, she's going to take all of the resources at her disposal and go after Elijah. I mean, he, he, she was, uh, man, I am going, I'm going to hunt you down. It goes on, it says in verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he fled for his wife. His, his wife. <laughs> right? Elijah was afraid and 
fled for his life. And he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. And he left his servant there. Very interesting little phrase. He left his servant there. Then he went on alone. Another interesting little phrase. Into the wilderness and traveling all day. It says that he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. So he just went from the heights of defeating all these prophets of Baal and seeing God throw fire from heaven and consuming things and they all die to now he says, I want to die. He said, I have had enough, Lord. I've had enough. And he said, take my life for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He was running on empty. So he went from being really full to really empty in a very short amount of time. Something was going on. And so there was this running on empty thing. And many times when we run on empty, it happens because something bad has replaced something good in our hearts. Something bad has replaced something good in our hearts. It doesn't necessarily mean that I'm bad. It just means that there's been a transition that has happened that I need to deal with and be aware of. And so let me give you just real quickly four of them right from the text. Here's the first one. Is that exhaustion replaces expectation. See, Elijah had quickly forgotten that what God had just done because he was tired. He'd quickly forgotten how big a victory God had just given him, given him. But because he was tired, he had no expectation. It wasn't so long ago that Elijah was taunting the gods of the prophets of Baal and how I just said, hey, is your God pooping? I mean, what's going on? But now he's, he's running for his life. And now the obstacle was bigger than the opportunity. And now he was tired, he was exhausted, and he was overwhelmed by the opposition. And his faith was replaced with fear. It was God can, but now it was God can't, and he won't. It was anything is possible with God, but today nothing is possible because you're not going to show up. I'm doomed. Take my life. Somehow he'd made this transition that exhaustion had replaced his expectation. Opposition had stolen, stolen his optimism. And by the way, there will always be opposition. If you think that if you can just get to a place where there's no longer opposition, then I won't be empty anymore, that's never going to happen. That's not part of the story. There will always be opposition. It's always going to be a part of it. The question is, is how will I handle it? Or better yet, who will handle it? Who's going to handle this? Who's going to handle this exhaustion and this lack of expectation? Who's going to deal with this thing? Me? Because I don't have anything left. So maybe it's God. Maybe God needs to still be part of the story. And so when exhaustion replaces expectation, we fall into survival mode and we begin to say things like, I want to quit or I've had enough, Lord. I'm out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. It's too difficult. It's too hard. I'm tired of running. I'm I'm tired of being in this place. Take my life. It's actually suicidal. And see, fear begins to mushroom. Begins to grow into areas that it never had business being in the first place. And fear begins to mushroom. And you imagine the worst case scenarios. The very vision that God had given him in the very, from the very beginning was now dead. Because exhaustion had replaced his expectation. See, some of us, that's what's happening. Here's the second one. Is that isolation replaces interaction. 
isolation replaces interaction. Notice again what he said. He, he was going down the road and he said, hey, servant, you're not going to go with me anymore. And it said that he went alone into the wilderness. All of a sudden, he's all by himself in isolation, not solitude, isolation. He's isolating himself from maybe the people that can help. And if you read the whole story, he actually says to God, I'm the only one, God, I'm the only one. And God says, you know what? Actually, I've got 7,000 other people that are just like you. <laughs> At that point, I don't know what, it doesn't say what Elijah said. I mean, but he's probably like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I didn't realize that. But he had isolated himself and, and he, his isolation had been, re, isolation replaced his interaction. And really what was going on is the people you care about actually become the people you avoid. The people you really need are the people you stay away from. And see, that's what happens sometimes is we get to that place in our emptiness that instead of gravitating towards people that can help us, we actually begin to remove ourselves from them. We begin to pull back. We begin to disconnect. We, we walk away from the interaction. And we begin to see people as the problem. Really, the people aren't the problem. The problem's in here. The problem's right there. By the way, note the difference between solitude and isolation because sometimes it's good to have solitude, but solitude is for reflection and refining of your soul, but isolation is for separation and avoidance of dealing with my heart and who I really am. There's a difference. See, some of us, we're calling it solitude, but really it's isolation. We need to be aware of that, that that's maybe part of what's going on. So here's the third one, is that, so it's exhaustion replaces expectation, isolation replaces interaction, and imitation replaces innovation. Elijah said to the Lord, he said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. He's no better. He was, he, Elijah was no better than everybody else. He was no longer holding on to that idea that God was doing something special through him. See, there's something about when you're empty that all of a sudden you begin to think, what's the matter? <laughs> what's God going to do in my life? How's my life going to matter? What, 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 what difference am I going to make? I'm just like everybody else. Matter of fact, I'm just going to act like everybody else. I'm just going to go with the flow. I'm just going to let it happen because, hey, I'm no different. I'm nobody special. But God said, no, you are somebody special. You are somebody unique. But he got lost in that. And so imitation was replaced in his innovation. And he was willing to be counted in the crowd of the mediocre instead of being counted in the crowd that believed God for something great. There was something happening there. And so just to be and do what everybody else does was happening in his heart. Here's the fourth one is that depression replaces destiny. Depression is a vicious terrorist of your soul. And I, I know this personally. The, you know, my, my wife, thank you, honey, for being so gracious to me. She's been married to me for 32 years. That's a miracle in itself right there. But I have always struggled with depression. And I know the depths of the darkness of it. Some of you over the years, I've had conversations with you and talked about the depths of the darkness of depression. It, it, it terrorizes you. 
It's that dark cloud where the tunnel just keeps getting darker and you can kind of maybe sometimes see the light, but you can't really see the light. You're not really sure. And this depression, and it replaces your destiny, this idea that maybe there's hope because it takes it away. And that's what was happening to Elijah, that this depression, this vicious terrorist of the soul was grabbing a hold of who he was. And it was constantly shouting inside of his mind and inside of his heart, you are worthless, you amount to nothing, you're going nowhere, it's over, just quit. It was clouding his hopes and his dreams. It was clouding the idea of a better Israel. It was clouding the idea that God might still use me. It was clouding the idea that somehow, someway, something might still happen in the midst of this opposition in this difficult time. God might do something. The depression was attacking his faith and filling his mind with doubts. It was smothering his future and it was making him miserable to even be alive. Take my life. Because emptiness was happening. Because he had allowed some certain things and things were being replaced in his own heart. And so all of that was happening. But the Lord doesn't give up. Aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't give up? But the Lord. God doesn't give up. So it says then, the next part, and this is the restoring the source part of it. This is the answer and actually what God does. So restoring the source in the middle of overwhelming odds, in the middle of a raging current, in the middle of his own limitation, in the middle of all the things that had been replaced by the things that were wrong, God shows up and meets him. Notice what it says in verse 5. It says, then it says, he laid down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. As I read that this week over and over, I just, I just was reminded in my own spirit that no matter what you think is going on, God is closer than what you imagine. No matter how dark you might think it is or how difficult it is, God is right there. Right there in the midst of your situation. He says, get up and eat. Verse 6, he said, look around. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones, and I don't know if it was like Jimmy John's or, you know, whatever, but just bread. Bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water, exclamation mark. So he ate and drank and laid down again. Verse 7, then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, get up and eat some more, for the journey ahead of you will be too much for you. See, God's concerned about it. God's concerned about your journey. God's concerned about your faith. God's concerned about your life. And he wants you to be in a place where you're not empty, but you're full and you're able to handle what's before you. Verse 8, it says, So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days. It didn't give him enough strength to travel the rest of his life. For 40 days. And 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then you can read the rest of the story. God met him in really special ways right after that. But let me just give you four things about restoring the source in your life. Here's the first one. And it's very simply rest. Rest. He said he lay down and sleep, slept. You know, it's, it's resting. It's sleeping. I'm not talking about being lazy. It's being intentional about making sure that you're not overextending yourself about being intentional about that. An average person needs seven to eight hours of sleep a night. And some of us, we're lucky if we get half of that. 
But we need that. And so some of us can't find the source because we're keeping a crazy pace. We're not resting, we're racing. You see, Jesus is our ultimate rest. That's why he said in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. The very thing that God offers to each and every one of us is rest in him, but it's in him. Rest. Here's the second word, is replenish. Get up and eat. That bread idea. That strength comes from nourishment. And some of us need to eat better in the practical sense, right? I'll raise my hand. I love a double, triple, quadruple cheeseburger. I do. Come on. Yeah, somebody said. The other empty person in the room said, come on. (laughs) Right? But we need to eat better. And see, we feed ourselves... We feed ourselves with very little or we feed ourselves with junk, we're always going to be empty. That's on the practical side, but the same way on the, same, on the spiritual side, that we have to learn how to feed ourselves. It's an interesting thought that Jesus called himself the bread of life, and we are to practice communion with God by eating the bread of life or participating in that bread. And also the word of God is considered bread. So all these things that point towards feeding with the Lord is Jesus, his word, And I've got to be very intentional about that. I've got to replenish myself. I can't think that somehow I'm going to not eat and get through this. So rest, replenish. Here's the third one. is to rehydrate. A jar of water, it says, was there. See, water is one of the elements in life we cannot survive without. Water allows my body to function the way it was meant to function. And biblically, water was symbolic of a couple things. It was symbolic of cleansing or washing, and it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit's presence. So what's that mean to us? I I need rest. Jesus is my rest. I need to understand the practical side of that, but also the spiritual side of that. I need to replenish. I need to understand the importance of feeding myself or feeding well, if you will. And then to rehydrate that I need to understand the value of washing and cleansing. How does washing and cleansing happen? It comes when I confess and I repent and I turn from the things that maybe are self-inflicted wounds. I cry out to the Lord and I say, God, forgive me. That's the washing. That's the cleansing. And then the work of the Holy Spirit is, Lord, may I not trust in my own power to make this happen, but may I trust in your power. May I not try to make it happen because I made it happen, but because I allowed the Spirit of God to flow in and through my life in such a way that you made it happen. That I would be available for that. That I would drink the water of the Spirit because the Spirit gives life to Spirit, but the flesh gives birth to the flesh. And the last one, as I get ready to close repeat so it says again and again so he ate and drank and lay down again and the angel came and said do it again more 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 do it this is going to last for 40 days there's something about understanding the importance of repeating that which brings life see some of us here's here's what i think is happening we're empty because and and maybe this is the biggest thing that gets in the way of us restoring this sort of life because maybe we felt it once or we experienced it a long time ago. We had this moment with God. We had this word from the Lord. We had this idea that God revealed himself for a second, but we walked away and didn't repeat it and just left it there. I've got to repeat again and again and again. It needs to be regular. 
So here's the closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. First one is this. Is if you're empty today, you need to give yourself permission to pursue getting full. You got to give yourself permission to get healthy. You got to give yourself permission to say, you know what? I can't stay here any longer. I've got to do something different. I've got to make some adjustments, some changes. I'm going to give myself permission to pursue getting healthy. Number two is that you need to decide in your heart, if you're empty today, you need to decide in your heart, I'm not quitting, I'm not giving up, but I'm going to give myself completely and fully to getting better. I'm not giving up. See, some of you, right now today, you're here and you're, you're facing this empty thing, you're, you're wrestling with it, I'm wrestling with you. Man, I, don't, I, I had enough. Let's don't go there. Let's go another place. So, Lord, I'm not giving up. I don't know how it's going to work, but I'm, I'm yours. I'm yours. Here's the third thought. Is that you need to understand if you're at that edge where you think you're empty and you can't seem to get past it, that God is not done with you yet. God is not done with you yet. See, some of you here today, you've had some victories, you've had some times, but at the same time, you're facing some opposition, you're going through some stuff, and I want to say to you loudly and clearly, God is not done with you yet. It might take a while, but He's not done with you. He's not done with you. See, some of you, you think God's done. He's not done. But you do need to get healthy. You do need to rest, replenish, and rehydrate, repeat that again and again and again. You need that to let God do a work in you. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads and hearts before the Lord? Lord, I want to thank you today for every person that is here in this room. Lord, there's no accidents here today, God. There is a divine appointment that's happened here. And Lord, you even let things happen in our lives many times to bring us to a place where only you can change us. And so, Lord, I want to pray with and for every person in this room that maybe is running on empty, that has lost touch with the source, or, or maybe the obstacles just see too, over, too overwhelming that, Lord, there would be a, a stopping, there would be a surrendering, there would be a yielding, there would be a statement that says to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to give full permission to you to work in my life, to do whatever you want to do. Lord, I surrender so that you can make me better. Lord, I yield myself so that you can fill me up. Lord, you're my source. I can never be the source. And so, Lord, I cry out to you today. As I enter into worship right now, Lord, I don't want to come half-heartedly. Lord, I don't want to come part way. I want to come all the way. Lord, to give everything that I have to you in song, to give everything you, I have in my heart to you, whether it be good, bad, hurting, lonely, whatever it might be, that God, I would give it all to you in the next few moments. Lord, let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.